0: Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. I'm your host, Nicholas Ripold. This week, the latest feature from We're ethical Memoria, comes to the New York Film Festival, after premiering in Cannes this past summer. Memoria stars Tilda Swinton as a woman in Colombia seeking to explain a strange noise that she keeps experiencing. As you might guess, Memoria is a change of pace in some ways for Ipichipong, who shot the film in Colombia. In July, I spoke with the critic Giovanni Marchini-Camia, who had the very special role of chronicling the making of Memoria, with extensive access to the filmmaker's own notes. The results were turned into a beautiful new book that's now available from Fireflies Press. I discussed the making of the film with Giovanni, who also shared some fascinating insights into Apichapong's filmmaking, we also traded thoughts on what's new and different about the film.
1: Let's talk about, you know, what for me is was a highlight, and also for you has been kind of like a part of your life for a while. So you'll have to explain your involvement a little. Also, let's be sure to talk about uh, a certain book, mm. um, <laughs> which is related to the film. Um, so Memoria... Uh, how would you describe your your role? You were. It seems like you were kind of a chronicler in a way. I, I know there's an official title, but I'm forgetting what that is.
2: I think it is chronicler. Is in Spanish. It's Cronista, if I, if I remember correctly. I had actually already followed the shoot of Cemetery Splendor, so I'm friendly with um, with Epichapong. And when this new film came along, because uh, there had been a plan to make a book about Cemetery Splendor as well, that never came through. So when this new film came along, I wrote him and I said, well, maybe we should make that book this time. And um, with uh, Fireflies, which was this journal that, uh, a friend and I had been publishing for a few years. We were thinking of becoming a publishing house and um, starting to publish books. So I told him this could be our inaugural project. And then we would have, you know, the um, the publishing house and all that aspect, which was what had been difficult to find for the of Splendor book. And he, he, he was keen, and so he invited me, and then I spent the entire two months in Colombia on the set. And I would just basically be there observing and taking notes, and I didn't didn't have any creative input in the film, but I was there from the first to the last. Seeing the process for this film up
1: close must be pretty illuminating. It's just incredible. You, you managed to kind of craft a narrative uh and, and a sense of the many decisions, the many contingencies, the chance, the creative decisions that, that go into things. Um, and I mean, maybe we can return to that a little bit um, after we talked about the movie, because I have to say I'm pretty eager to hear, with your critic hat, how you felt about the movie um, mm-hmm. and seeing it in its in its full um, completed form. Uh, so yeah, if you if you could just talk a bit about it, um, and and just generally, I mean, the plot you know or the what's the right word to use the story the uh the situation <laughs> i guess it's a movie where there's a situation and the situation is that tilda swinton plays a florist who's in the environs of a university in the film
2: she's an orchid farmer in medellin and the reason why she's at the university is that her brother-in-law is a professor and then she goes there to to talk to the the sound guy and um, yeah and also because her sister is hospitalized in the university hospital
1: and she hears a mysterious thud. That's at least how I wrote it in my notes. It sounded like a thud. But one of the things that happens in the movie is that they try to figure out how to characterize and how to kind of replicate this sound to, to uh, figure it out. So what were your thoughts, your sort of a, a thoughts on seeing the movie?
2: Well, it's a bit tough. And I had this experience with Cemetery of Splendor as well that I had a really hard time. It took me four or five times of watching Cemetery of Splendor before I could watch it as a normal film and not just always trying to always remembering what happened on that day or what was on the script that isn't there anymore. But I, w- I was quite, I was quite shocked at how minimalist it is in terms of the narrative. I think it's, I mean, he's always, uh, uh, Joe is always described as a minimalist filmmaker, which I'm not sure is true, but in this case, he really like pared it down to the bare, bare essential. And, um, in the beginning I I think could be quite confusing narratively for someone coming in uh, fresh without having read the script, because it really, it gives you very little and it's edited in a very sort of staccato way. And then it slows down ever more. And I feel the, by, by in the second half, especially the shots get so long and so still and, you're really you you get immersed in these shots and the the sound as i mentioned is is so important in in building this relationship and i don't know i think he's pared down you know he's famous for the the monkey with the red eyes and um the the tiger spirit and all this stuff is mostly gone from this film and you just with tilda and um this uh the the performance aspect was also really new because Mm. there's still very much joe's frames there's still his rhythms but i don't feel he's ever had such a a strong presence in those frames and the relationship Mm. is quite different you it's really so much hinges on tilda's performance in a way that hadn't been the case in the past
1: yeah I, I sort of vaguely understand what how the connection was made between between them, but only vaguely. I mean, what do you know of like how this collaboration came to be? Like, how was she she cast? I mean, almost like which direction did it did go in? Because, you know, Swinton is so much uh, almost like an avatar of uh, art cinema at the moment, working with all you know, sorts of major a- auteurs.
2: If if I'm not mistaken, I think they got to know each other when Tropical Melody was in Cannes. Like, I don't know, maybe I should be quoted on this, but I'm pretty sure it's that, that she was not the jury that year and she loved the film and then they struck a report and then they've been talking about working together for a long time. They just could never find the right project. In fact, she was originally meant to be in Cemetery of Splendor. She was meant to mm. be a doctor in the first part in the in the hospital. And eventually mm. they decided it wouldn't work because her presence would kind of unbalance the whole thing, which I think is right. And I think what I, what I was mentioning about the acting and uh, the performance in Memoria kind of... Um, demonstrates that she has this pull this 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 gravity that i think in that other film would have been quite disruptive whereas here it's mm. it's so integral to the um to the film so it did that's how so they were looking for a, a project for a long time and then eventually it was all right we'll make mm. this film together and they looked for locations for a really long time and eventually Colombia through circumstance, because I think um, Joe went to the Cartagena film festival and the director of the film festival is Diana Bustamante, who's the, who then offered, she's a producer as well and she offered to produce this film and now she's the main producer and that, that kind of developed that way. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, actually there's, um, there's an interview with Tilda in the book where she describes how yes. their point of departure was that they wanted to explore the idea of being an alien, uh, and that they built from that. And that, and if you watch the film *Memoria*, that's very much it. It's this woman who's in an alien context. She's she doesn't belong at all. She's always very separate from the world around her, especially in the first. And the first half of the movie, when she's uh, walking around Bogota, she's there. She's reacting to to the city around her, but she doesn't belong to it. And the way I read that is also a reflection, simply on Joe's wish to to make a film abroad and what that process entailed, and how you relate to this new new environment and how, yeah, this relationship exploring mm. that through film.
1: Yeah yeah that interview in in the book I mean maybe we can kind of drop in little um, little details from the book here and there is is really fascinating uh, you know that, that Tilda Swinton writes and also goes to what you were just saying about um, you know uh, cemetery splendor and you know feeling how she would fit into that because she talks about in this letter which I don't want to I don't because it, it's just a great thing to read about you know, how will I fit into your film? You know, how do I fit in in your film? You know, or or what is, how does it work? She's, she's actually, it's interesting to see that kind of um, I don't know what the word is, self-awareness or Mm self-consciousness about not, she doesn't use the word persona. She says something just like, it's, it's very general, but just, she has an awareness of like how she fits in a film, which, you know, it makes sense. And so she's thinking about how does this work best? How would this work best? Uh, So yeah, that's one of the kind of uh, primary materials in the book that, are uh, really really interesting, and you know that makes me wonder. You know, since you mentioned while watching it that sometimes it was hard not to think of what it was like when you know you were there on set, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what did what did you what did you observe of the kind of uh, directing um, process? Um, I mean, both just like with with Tilda Swinton and how what it was like directing, um, you know, an actor that might be different than many of the other actors and non-professionals that he's worked with, but also just sort of generally, uh, now of, you know pretty well up close.
2: Well, I can't really compare because in Thailand, it was all in Thai and I couldn't understand any of it. <laughs> of course, uh, right. But in, um, in, uh, in Colombia, it was weird because there was actually... Not much direction in terms of the action. I mean, they had had quite extensive rehearsals, which happened before the show, which I didn't attend, so I don't know how prepared they were. But his focus is very much on the rhythm of delivery. So the the the, the action, the the situation was for the most part always already established and didn't really have to be didn't have to be elaborated much more and then he would sit there and they would speak their lines and then he would yeah make small changes to make sure that the rhythm fit his his idea and he can be quite meticulous he he will say things like you know 15% funnier or thirty percent less dramatic, mm. and you see the actors being like, "Okay, I, I, I think I know what that means." Or he <laughs> like he will time things to, to very, very precise. But at the same time, he always asks the uh, asks feedback, and he will like gladly gladly rewrite a scene with an actor if the actor thinks that doesn't make sense or and and Tilda more than the others was very involved in that in that way she's like well this 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 mm-hmm. line i don't think i would say it or i don't think it fits within this thing and he's extremely receptive and he like he reworked the scenes a lot especially with Tilda and yeah, and the thing that Tilda always did, which the other actors don't do, is the first thing she does before she sits down or, or before she takes her position in the frame is actually look at the frame and figure out how how she will move, how how it, like she she checks out the mise en scène basically, and that is hmm. a, like an integral part of. She, whereas I never saw the other actors look at the monitor or try to to know how the how they will move within the frame they just kind of listened to Appa Chapong and trusted him
1: yeah so do you mean that she does she do that by walking over to to the actual to the camera or to a monitor or
2: yeah, I mean it was always, you know, these these sets were very not elaborate. They were it was kind of a small a small scale. So she would just walk over yeah. and either I mean the Cabra had a small monitor hanging outside it or at the had a bigger monitor next to his chair. So one of the two she would look at always.
1: That's that's fascinating. I mean that's really interesting, you know, have an actor um I mean so I, a lot of actors are um I'm always fascinated when I hear about an actor who's, you know, interested in how the frame's working, because it's true. It's like, how do you know what the square, you know, or what the the shape is that you're in, what the, where you are, you know, it's it's really cool.
2: No, and I was going to add then the thing I said about, about the way he's very open to remodeling scenes, that's in terms of the dialogue and maybe the action a little bit. But in terms of mm. the, the, the framing, the, the, the blocking, all that, that's completely set in stone, and that never never changes. Mm. Yeah, interesting, interesting.
1: And I mean, with with the camera, is he, he's also kind of very active working with the camera and working, how does, what is his relationship with uh, his uh, cinematographer, who I guess he was returned to after uh, not working with him since, I guess uh, Uncle Boonby?
2: Yeah, he had Sharan Kubunmi, and then Cemetery of Splendor, he was shooting Arabian Nights with Miguel Gomes. Mm-hmm. So, um, Apichatpong found Diego Garcia, the Mexican uh, cinematographer, and then now he went back to Sionbu, and also went back to film, because Cemetery was his first digital film, and Sionbu mm-hmm. only work, works on celluloid. Uh, they almost do not speak. Like It is... <laughs> they, I think they've worked so much together that they know exactly what the other will like. And mm-hmm. at least on set, I mean, I'm, uh, they, of course, they would have had a long process of um, choosing all the frames because the film was perfectly, uh, you know, it was storyboarded. I, very few times did they have to come up with a new frame on set and so forth. And so their, their collaboration was almost... Yeah, wordless. He Sionbu obviously had his team and they they had to set up all sorts of really complicated setups so he would talk to them. But between uh, Joe and Sionbu, very little.
1: Mm, that's what I love love to hear that it's it's this that <laughs> it only feeds into my, my mystique uh <laughs> of about it somehow.
2: Yeah, but I mean, they've been together since since Blissfully Yours. And if mm-hmm. if I understood correctly, before working with Chatpong, Sayonbu only worked at the studio system. So I think they kind of learned the trade together. And they, I guess, yeah, that's why they keep working together and they have the same methods. Uh, that's how I, I interpret it. Mm.
1: Yeah. That's uh that's really wonderful. I mean, and, I mean, and also you know, obviously, working in a new locale and in a new uh, location um, and a new kind of cultural background, I'm sure it's you know extra helpful having that always to always to to rely on um, that yeah. relationship and.
2: Yeah, I mean, for him it was really important because he usually has the same team always, and there was a complete new team. But he made sure that Sionbu be there and uh, Sompot, or both um, the 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 guy who has been his assistant director on several films, and they are they also have this incredible symbiotic relationship where they just seem to think with one brain.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you sort of mentioned uh, that the idea of being an alien, um, mm-hmm. or you know, is kind of a theme in in the movie, and maybe also kind of intertwines with how he, you know, was feeling about doing an overseas production, you know, as as I suppose anyone, anyone really would. Um, And, I mean, I I imagine that there must have been sort of challenges of shooting in uh, new territory. And what's interesting is that this is, I mean, aspects of the foreignness or the, I don't know, the novelty of the culture in the country are in the movie in a way, partly because Tilda's character because I say Tilda like I know her. Swinton's <laughs> character is, a, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Tilda Swinton, if you're listening, which would be cool. But anyway, you know, she's an explorer. She's tr- she's on a she's on a quest, I think, is, is, the, is the, um, mm-hmm. I the way that uh, Congress described it. Um, and so part of the movie is built that way, that she goes to like a mining uh, tunnel at one point, um, which I, I don't think is too much to give away just to say that. Um, so that kind of exploration of the culture and also you know the people she meets feels like it must have also been part of the production in a way
2: yeah i mean what you say i mean actually the narrative weirdly is kind of a hero's journey it follows that that template Mm. kind of uh, in an interesting way um but in terms of working abroad and like fitting in i didn't notice any sort of friction or difficulty and i think a large part of why he picked colombia or he was also thinking about peru before that he he likes latin america a lot and it's because he he feels an affinity to thailand in the sort of in the past and i think with the um with their respective experiences of uh, military dictatorships or a conflict and with some of the mm-hmm. folkloric backgrounds in the culture for some reason he feels really at home there and I don't think he would have made a film if he didn't have that aspect like I don't think I don't expect he could shoot in Europe for example so mm-hmm. in fact when he was there i he seemed very at ease. And I think it, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to know your opinion here, but when I watched the film, I thought, okay, yeah, you can see it's, it's Latin America, but at the same time, it, it could be Thailand, maybe not the city part, but the part where he goes to the, um, to the countryside in the second half, even some shots out of the window. It just, it, they're speaking Spanish, but it, it, to me, it looked like Thailand almost. And I thought that was a really interesting And You know, we we watch a lot of Latin American uh, cinema and you're not used to seeing it portrayed that way at all. It doesn't evoke the the, the usual Latin American um, films.
1: Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, you know, I mean, even just on the surface of it, because of the kind of, you know, lush forest background and and grass and and nature, he really... Is really able to tap into what's universal about that. Just drawing on some of the same energies from nature in a way. I mean, the thing mm-hmm. that was interesting to me about it also is that obviously a big part of some of his films has been the kind of um, spiritual, also like folkloric, you know, mythological aspect of, of Thailand and kind of Thai countryside. So mm-hmm. it was interesting thinking about that a little here, I guess. Again, I would love to preserve uh, what happens. Although I guess people maybe are already written about it. I have not read any. I, I have no need of reading reviews with this movie. <laughs> it's like, why I would mean, I do that?
2: The Hollywood um, Reporter pretty much gives just a 800 word summary of the film. So, oh you know, really? If if yeah, someone yeah. is uh, curious, they can find out exactly what happens.
1: Well, they, we we won't we won't spoil the mystique here. What I was saying is that he finds another kind of. I, I don't know if you would call it. Maybe it is sort of spiritual, but he finds another kind of connection that's beyond beyond rational connections. I mm-hmm. guess you could say is, uh, he finds some other way. But I don't know. That was one thing I thought of, which I didn't. I didn't feel as an absence. So that was that was kind of interesting. That there's there's definitely like a heart and soul to the movie. It's not like some exploratory exercise.
2: Um, yeah, and I think I mean that's that's the big theme. That's the that's the that's what the journey is. It's like build. Get, getting that connection building that connection she becomes ever more connected to mm-hmm. her environment and yeah i think i think you used the word spiritual and i think there's some, definitely something there it's it's obviously not religious and it's not based on any known myths but there's this weird energy this shared I don't know how you would describe. Mm. It's very yeah. odd, but the way he achieves it, and again, the sound, the, the, like it is kind of achieved through sound. And again, we without describing the finale, there it's th- 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 what happens there is entirely sound based. And I thought that mm. Mm. that is a really interesting approach, and it's also it it works cinematically so powerfully. Like you're transfixed when that that finale happens, and yeah, it's entirely thanks to that aspect.
1: Yeah. Which must be, I mean, interesting for your experience as well, because you were there on the set. So this, these sound uh, mixing and sound production, I mean, happens after that phase. Did you, or did you see any part of that, the sound process at all or?
2: No, nothing, nothing. And obviously there wasn't on set, there wasn't music playing. There wasn't anything. he, for mm-hmm. the the big scene that again we can't describe <laughs> but the big scene he he like he had this text that it was half re- read half improvised that he read to the actors while the camera was rolling he actually he did something mm-hmm. very similar for the at the end of cemetery of splendor as well where there's also this moment of connection with um with the soldier in the hospital and uh, and Jinjira, the main uh, the main character slash actress, and he he will yeah he'll sit as close to them as he can without being in the frame, and he he'll talk and he will direct them and it'll also Mm -hmm. just be a bit it's not even do this do that it's like a narrative and then every once in a while there'll be a stimulus like oh this happens oh look at the window or look at your hand and he mixes it in and it was really it was really interesting to to witness that because Mm. yeah it was mostly improvised and it, it kind of seemed to be it was it wasn't just him directing the actors he was also just reacting to the way the the performers were, were moving and and interacting between themselves.
1: Wow. That's That's really, that, I mean, that actually might be, um, might be a good moment to talk a bit about some of the materials in the book, because that seems like some of the insights that you can get through the book, because the book is also partly like a collection of um, materials and I guess a, um, you know, script excerpts and notes. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of ingredients. (laughs)
2: Yeah, no, it was uh well the way the way the book um I mean I was there collecting taking notes every day on the set but then uh, after it was finished we went back to Bogota and Joe just gave me a hard disk with all of his research material and all his, uh, his scanned scanned uh note where he had a moleskin that it was completely filled with notes and um and sketches and his shooting script. So we had this mass of material and luckily he's very, very ordered with folders and stuff. So it was easy, <laughs> easy to navigate, but we, we kind of, our, our hope, our intention was to try and I don't know if recreate is the right word because we were kind of interpreting what might've been his process from A to Z, from the start of writing, All the way to the end of the shoot and so we just looked at this material for a really long time and then kind of tried to build a narrative purely in visual terms so in the first first uh, part of the book which is kind of covering the writing and pre-production we have all his sketches all his and we built a collage of so much material Based on what I knew of the film, what I knew of the script, when I say we, it was a team of four. It was my co-publisher, Annabelle, uh, James, the designer who has worked with us on all the Fireflies project thus far, and Matteo, who was the set photographer on the film. And so we looked at this material and together we we built a narrative out of it in a collage for the pre-production, trying to have thematic connections and there's also the there's the treatment that is a a through line throughout the collage not the full treatment but pieces so that you can you can understand what the what the narrative is of the film or what it was meant to be because it's changed a lot from that first treatment which was done written i think two years before the before the shoot Mm and so yeah you see all this material in collage form for the first half of the book or so and then there's another lo- uh, long part which is just set photography and that's all chronologically so you can yeah follow the shoot uh, through the photography and then at the end there's my uh, diary which is a daily diary that I kept on set and that really just chronicles very Very precisely what happened on on set every day, or what I thought was interesting. Obviously, there's a lot left out, and these three parts should together kind of reflect what our interpretation of his process is. Because he wasn't at all involved in the editing, Joe didn't look at any draft, didn't he? Fully trusted us, so this is what we think or how we imagine the um, the ideas developed and so forth.
1: Yeah, it's, I've only seen, uh, you know, a review copy. So I can't wait to see like a finished copy um, because it is, yeah, it's just a, a wonderful collection and pastiche. And I have to say, um, it's kind of very satisfying to see the book because, well, you know, one sees a lot of books that are devoted to these kind of complete collections of XYZ, you know, like, um, and I'm not knocking these books, but like the Cone brothers and, the West, and Wes Anderson are likely to get this sort of treatment. Um, mm-hmm. But you don't see it uh, often given uh, to a filmmaker um, such as uh, Pong. and so I don't know. It's it's really good good to see. I I'm sure listeners think I'm just a Fireflies uh, shill at this point, but I, <laughs> what can I say? I've been very happy with these books. So. And and just to wrap up, that is available.
2: Uh, it's available for pre-order on our uh, website right away, uh, but it will be in stores starting September first.
1: Okay, great.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, and I so, think So, uh, yeah. What's...
1: So we've been talking about. Oh, go ahead.
2: No, no, no. So, no, 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 no. Um, please. I was just going to say that what I think is interesting in, because as I mentioned that there is, uh, yeah, so little that went into the film, uh, the final cut, that it's, that that the book kind of is almost, it shows a lot of films that could have been because there's so much there and there were Mm -hmm. so many ideas and it's like this subterranean, I don't know why we kept thinking about roots and fungus because roots and fungus play a, a role in the film as well. And it was this idea of like all these ideas that fed into this very parsed down um, final cut in the end, but yeah,
1: yeah, no, it's it's true. You know, you I I saw things like a like a medical paper or a scientific paper in there. You know, it's clear that there's all sorts of materials go into to the movies, and um, yeah, I, I hesitated to ask like what was left out because um, <laughs> I always have like mixed feelings about asking that. But but the the, the beauty of this is that you can kind of see. Um, on paper, uh, all the ideas that went into it, um, or many of them, I suppose, I'm sure he is, his head is full of other things, too. Um, mm-hmm. So you've actually seen in a way you've seen Memoria twice uh, so far. Um, and one of those times was last year so so can you explain
2: (laughs) right um yeah no last year if i remember correctly was the end of march where they submitted the film to the festival because at that point at least officially the festival was still going to happen and the producers were kind enough to send me the vimeo link of the the cut they sent and it was in terms of the sequence of scenes and i as far as i could tell the, the the sequence remained exactly the same but there was no audio mix no color correction no special effects and uh, i don't know how good conditions you watched it but at the cinema the sound is incredibly important it has this incredible mm. sound mix and your led you Yeah, the sound does a really large part in leading you along into uh, the story. So that part was gone. And I probably should avoid spoilers, but there's this important um, special effects sequence, which at the time was just pretty much said there will be special effects here. And it was very rudimentary. It looked like uh, something like from a video game from the mid-90s, maybe. Oh, goodness. And obviously the color correction wasn't there. So, you know it was just, I was just discovering what hadn't made it. Cause I, I, I worked on the shoot, so I, I followed uh, the entire shoot and I was mainly discovering what wasn't in the film, which is a lot, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I think, I think there must be maybe 30% of what was shot is actually in the film.
1: Wow. That must've been so fascinating. All right. Well, yeah, so we've been talking about *Memoria* um, and also uh, *Firefly's* press book about *Memoria*. We can finish up there, um, and I, maybe I'll run into you at some some other uh, some other festival in in person in the future. And uh, thanks again for talking about all of
2: this. No, thank you so much for having me. You've
0: been listening to *The Last Thing I Saw* with your host Nicholas Rapold. If you like what you heard, please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music from their song Montserrat. Thank you for listening.